Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. And before we begin our show today, I want to share with you about an exciting opportunity for you to join the How They Love Mary community. If you listen to a lot of podcasts like I do, you'll know that a growing trend behind podcasts right now is the bonus content offered through Patreon. This podcast has been paid for and sponsored by me exclusively over the past year and a half. And now I'm inviting you as listeners to join the How They Love Mary Patreon community at the $3 tier or at the $5 tier. I'm not trying to get rich off this podcast. I'm just trying to recover my monthly expenses. But if we do get a lot of support, that's going to allow this podcast to branch out even further, to hire a graphic designer, to have somebody on retainer for that. It's going to allow us to do more advertising, more marketing, to spread the word about the podcast. So I hope that you'll join the How They Love Mary Patreon. You can learn more about it at patreon.com slash howtheylovemary. And for the link, check the show notes. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. The apparitions of Our Lady at Fatima in the year 1917 are always something that is being talked about. Of course, Our Lady appeared on the 13th of each month, except in August when it was delayed because the children were imprisoned. A few weeks ago, we talked with the producer of the movie Fatima, and on October 13th, we celebrate the miracle of the sun and the revelation of Mary's name as the Queen of the Holy Rosary, and all of these things related to Fatima and being in the month of October and having it being the month of the Holy Rosary, I thought it would be a wonderful thing for us to, again, continue to talk about the Fatima message. And we've talked a lot on this show about Fatima with different individuals, but I think we're going to touch on a point about Fatima and this Marian apparition today that is one that we haven't done so previously. And that's specifically on the prayer and the rosary, the month of the rosary. We're saying the rosary. It's the Fatima prayer, as it's commonly called, that Mary taught these children. Today, we are speaking with co-author Luke Arredondo about his book, Oh My Jesus, The Meaning of the Fatima Prayer. He works for St. Philip's Institute in Tyler, Texas. Many people on social media know about Bishop Strickland, who is a very outspoken bishop down there in Tyler, who many applaud for his stances about the Catholic faith and promoting tradition and Catholicity. So welcome to the show, Luke. Thank you so much, Father. It's a real um, humbling privilege to be on the show, and uh, I'm really excited about getting to talk to you uh, about about Fatima, about Mary. This is going to be great. Wonderful. And, you know, one of the things about uh, Bishop Strickland that I've noticed, and one of the things I do on the podcast, How They Love Mary, every so often, I strive for every week, but sometimes in the busy life of a pastor, it's every other week, uh, I try to do a bonus episode. And as I go through my Twitter feed and I 
put a heart on those different things. I kind of do that as a way to archive sometimes different Marian tweets. And then what I like to do is I like to go back over and talk about those Marian tweets to give my own little commentary on what I saw. And so each bonus episode is about 10 to 12 minutes. And I I talk about those things for, you know, a few minutes on each tweet and just really helping to teach a little bit more about the Blessed Mother, unpacking them. And I'll be honest, one of the people that I've often used has been Bishop Strickland. He is a very Marian bishop down there. And with all of his promotion uh, for the Blessed Mother and prayer to the Blessed Virgin, especially through the rosary. And it's so wonderful to be speaking with you. And maybe just the first thing to talk about, I think, would be your own Marian devotion, your own devotion to the rosary. You're uh, a lifelong Catholic. You've studied theology for a long time. You're in the seminary. And so what's your devotion to Mary and the rosary like? Well, my devotion to Mary and the Rosary really is something that came about uh, much later in my life. So even though I, I am, as you say, you know, brought up Catholic and and you know, even a pretty decent Catholic family, went to Mass every week, and you know, I uh, tried tried to live out my faith at least a little bit, you know, th- throughout my life. It of course deepened as I got older, but I, I really I give you so I'll give you a story, give you an example. When I was in ninth or tenth grade, there was a tornado coming towards my school, and there was one Catholic kid in my class that I knew. It was a very, very, very small percentage of Catholics in Mississippi where I grew up, and we were scared. I was very terrified, and this guy, he was scared enough. He asked me if I wanted to pray the rosary, and so I knew, oh, man, he must be really scared. If he wants to pray the rosary in public, um, he's got to be really losing it with this tornado, and we didn't know how to do it. Uh, we said one Hail Mary and ten Our Fathers um, and thought that that was the rosary. So I would say for, for me, my, my Marian devotion really didn't get into full swing until probably I was I was married um, to, to start really trying to develop a, a legitimate prayer life. Um, and, and actually, in large measure, getting asked to write this, this little book uh, on the meaning of the Fatima prayer, when I studied... Lucia's diary, and read closely the messages of Mary at Fatima, I realized, oh my goodness, I need to do this every day, Uh, and that really, really just uh, pushed me into maintaining a regular devotion to Mary. Um, So it it was a a much longer to get to that point, Um, but now it's something that I really feel like I can't do without. I never tire saying this. This is one of my biggest Fatima insights for my own personal life. And it was actually, it really came after watching the film Fatima, the new one that just came out. And as I was watching it, I couldn't help but realize that these little kids, Lucia, Francisco, Jacinta, that they all received this message, pray the rosary every day for peace in the world. And what did these three children do? And now they were young. They were very young people. And what did they do? They began praying the rosary every day for peace in the world. And it was a revelation to me that, you know, there is no good reason why I, as a priest, can't pray the rosary every day. And, you know, (laughs) I I would love to be able to tell you that I've prayed the rosary every day since I was 20 years old, or I prayed the rosary every day when I was in the seminary. But 
I, I can't say that I did. And, you know, that might be shocking to some, especially because I'm a Marian theologian. I'm the vice president of the Mariological Society of America. I speak on the rosary a lot. I wrote this rosary right. litany book. So all of these things. And, you know, I will say that there have been days this year that maybe life was busy or I was overwhelmed. And I chose not to turn to the rosary. I didn't pray the rosary. I let a day go by without it. But for the past few months now, I've started praying the rosary every morning and kind of just happened by accident. It was like a Saturday night, 10 o'clock at night. We have a beautiful Lourdes Grotto at my church. I go out to the Lourdes Grotto and I decide that I'm going to pray the rosary at 10 o'clock at night. It was a very nice day, nice evening. And I prayed the rosary. And the next day, I was walking the dog then uh, in the morning. And I was up a little earlier than usual. I'm like, I should go pray the rosary now in the morning at this yeah. grotto. And it began yeah. uh, a daily Facebook on my personal Facebook page. I've started praying the rosary every day uh, with my parishioners from our very historic and iconic grotto in our cemetery. And people are just really enjoying it. And I think That's that great. there are people praying the rosary that probably didn't pray the rosary in the morning like that ever before, but now they have this encouragement uh, to do so. And it's been a real blessing for me to do it every single day. And so uh, I'll yeah. say that there won't be a day now going forward that I'll say that I haven't prayed the rosary. So, uh, you know, in the past, that's the story, but the little children of Fatima for me have been such a strong inspiration in daily rosary recitation. And I regret that it took me uh, until my 30s to say that this is who right. I want to be and what I want to continue to pray. Yeah, and I share with you also, when when I am when I have the discipline to do it in the morning, so much different than I prayed it, but it was nine o'clock at night or even four in the afternoon. Uh, if I can remember to do that before I start getting on with my day, or even if I'm at work, if I get to work. Now, of course, I work at a an institute of catechesis and evangelization, and the bishop is very clear, if you want to pray at work, that's fine. I'll pay you to pray. Uh, so, you know, sometimes I get here and, and I've it's already eight o'clock, nine o'clock, whatever, and I, I know that if I don't stop and pray the rosary first— I'm never going to feel like I have time for it later in the day. Like, okay, now I have, what is it, 20 minutes, you know, 22 minutes if I'm being really pious. Um, it's it starting it, starting my day with that always makes for a better day. Um, so I, I share that experience with you. When did you first learn then about Fatima and about the visionaries? What, did he have knowledge before you wrote the book or really writing this book? Uh, was that the impetus to learn the story of Fatima? Yeah, definitely writing the book was what uh, introduced me to, to most of this stuff. Now, when I started um, actually doing the work and preparing to write it, I realized that my father had spoken to me a little bit about Fatima as, as a kid, but not in any kind of uh, comprehensive way. You know, I didn't even really know uh, when it happened, my my dad remembered after the fact when I started doing the research for the book in 2000 when the Vatican released the third secret or the third part of the secret. Uh, he told me he had been wondering since he was a little kid what the what the third secret was going to be because he'd heard when he was little about the first and second secret and he you know um, he was waiting on that third one but I it's, it didn't really have any meaning for me. Um, Stephen Bullivant asked me to to help him write the book. He had the contract from Paulus to finish this book um, in advance of the 
100th anniversary of, of Fatima, so 1917 to, to 2017. And he started working on it and had written a couple of chapters. Um, and then he just had really terrible, um, really depression and was just finding himself unable to, to finish the work. And he reached out to me and asked if I would help him to finish it. So uh, I said, yeah, definitely. I'll help you write a book. Uh, what, what's it about? And what's the what's the timeline? And once he told me, I said, I think I think I can manage that. And I went straight to my parish. Um, we had a little library at the parish I was at in Tallahassee, a bit decent library, I guess, maybe a couple thousand books. And I knew that they had Lucia's memoirs there uh, because they had I, they stood out to me when I when I saw them on the shelf. So I borrowed them. And man, when I started reading those memoirs, I, it just I couldn't believe what richness was there, what simplicity was there, what humility, uh, and, and the fact that it often is presented as some kind of great mystery with some sort of like secrecy. today It's, it's weird to me that we think in that way about it, because when you read her memoirs, it's, it's a lot more simple and straightforward. So that, that really was the beginning, was being asked to write, to write the book, and I quickly realized, gosh, I was impoverished to grow up not knowing have you made a pilgrimage to Fatima since you've written the book? No, I have not, although I have been to Guadalupe um, twice. Uh, once when I was a little kid, my family's from Mexico, um, and it's the, that, that pilgrimage site of Guadalupe is, is near Mexico City. It's not really in Mexico City, but uh, we went there once when I was you know very small, five or four, and then again when I was in my 20s, and I remember that because it was December, it wasn't the 12th, it was maybe the 18th or something, but there were just wall-to-wall people. They had mass on the hour, around the clock, and uh, I got to see the the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, that was a really powerful thing for me to, to see and to be in that place. Um, I, I would love to go to Fatima, but I've, I've yet to have made the trip. And of course, now the COVID-19 pandemic is one that is not really going to allow you to get on a plane probably and make a religious <laughs> pilgrimage right now. But hopefully when all this passes, uh, religious pilgrimages and going to holy sites will be something people will feel comfortable and uh, we'll get back to our Catholic bucket lists in that sense. Yeah. One of the things that's always struck me about the Fatima message is that Mary comes really as a teacher of prayer. And principally, she does it, I think, in two different ways. The first is she teaches the children a way in which to offer a prayer when they make a personal sacrifice. You know, oh, Jesus, I do this out of love for you and in reparation for sin or something along those lines. That's right. one of the prayers that Our Lady teaches. And then she also uh, teaches the Fatima prayer, which we'll talk about. But Mary is a great teacher of prayer. And we see it in, in the Gospels, too, that Mary teaches us how to pray. Even before Jesus taught us the Our Father, Mary said, Fiat, let it be done to me according to your will. And so she was already praying a prayer of surrender. When she visits her cousin Elizabeth, she rewrites that hymn of yeah. Hannah. And oh, so, yeah. and now every day, priests and deacons and lay faithful and religious sisters, we repeat those words of Mary. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit right. rejoices in God, my Savior. So really, Mary is a teacher of prayer. And maybe the question here is, how can Mary teach us today how it is that we should pray? 
Yeah, well, I think uh, I, I think a lot about the way John Paul II frames uh, Mary's role as a teacher of prayer in Rosarium Virginis Mariae, uh, his letter on the rosary from 2002. Uh, and I, I didn't mention that earlier. That was also another big part of my beginning to really appreciate Mary a lot more was reading that document from John Paul II. And he says that Mary is praying the rosary is is going to the school of Mary, uh, learning to pray sort of at her feet, and that what Mary did when she lived her life with Jesus as her son was to embody prayer by gazing upon the Lord in all these different ways. So he says and she has a, a questioning gaze when he does something that she doesn't understand. Uh, she has a, a longing gaze when she's you know missing him, and a loving gaze when, in all these ways of Basically, what prayer was for Mary was looking to the Lord, looking at Jesus, and that that's really what the mysteries of the rosary are supposed to do, is to help us look at these moments of the Lord's life and, and put ourselves into them, to, to imagine us being there and, 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 and recreate that experience in a meditative and contemplative fashion. Um, so I, I try as much as I can when I'm praying, and especially if I'm praying the rosary, to to think about it from Mary's eyes, you know, what, what her life was like, because in, in many ways, that's if I could ever get just to that point, I'd be doing really well with my prayer. Um, so I kind of make that one of, one of the goals, is to try and put myself in Mary's place in the way that she would see and experience these mysteries of Christ's life as she lived them. And so one of the ways, as you're saying, that Mary teaches us how to pray is to do so through meditation, through contemplation on the life of Jesus. And that's what we do mm -hmm. through the Rosary Mysteries at Fatima. Mary is the queen of the Holy Rosary. She wants us to pray the Rosary. But then in the further revelations after the 1917 apparitions to Sister Lucia, when she right. was in the convent about the first five Saturdays, one of the conditions of the first five Saturdays is to spend time in quiet meditation on the mysteries of the rosary, but not necessarily praying the rosary mysteries, but just to think right. about them. Now, another condition is to pray the rosary mysteries. So, but there are two separate things that you pray the yes. rosary and then you spend time in 15, 20 minutes of quiet contemplation. So it's really Mary teaching us. She's saying, this is so important. I want you to think about the life of Jesus and what that yeah. means for you. And there's a Eucharistic element too to Mary's Mary's teaching lesson to, to the children of and, and Lucia later apparitions, you know, the, the first Saturday first Saturday devotion, it, you know, in, involves receiving the Eucharist worthily, right, in a state of grace. Um, that continues um, the message of, of Fatima that Jesus is in many ways uh, forgotten, mistreated, and abused uh, in the Eucharist. And, and the, the apparitions prior to 1917 for the of peace emphasize sort of this Eucharistic abuse, and one of the solutions to that is the worthy reception of the Eucharist on behalf of those who are sinning, those who are profaning the Lord in some sort of way. So I think one of the one of the things that's grown for me as I continue to, to, to reread and restudy um, the Fatima message and, and, and the experience of those children is the element of, of the rosary, obviously, is very central, but also there's a Eucharistic dimension to the prayer that Mary has in mind of what's going to bring peace for the world. It, it certainly involves praying the rosary and meditating on those mysteries, but it also re re revolves around centering ourselves at, at the Eucharist, um, where, we, where we can really experience those mysteries. So Mary 
teaches us prayer. She teaches the children how to pray. And she says, pray after each decade of the rosary this prayer. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins. Save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those who are most need of thy mercy. And that's yeah. what we call the Fatima prayer. And it's a very powerful prayer. If you and, and that's what you do in the book, Oh My Jesus, the meaning of the Fatima prayer is that you break down this prayer and you give, you know, the meaning behind each phrase. What does this mean theologically? How what should we be thinking about as we say these words? And I'll tell you, there was one time I was praying this prayer uh, through the rosary. I was called uh, one evening to the bedside of a young man, uh, early 30s, husband, father, brother to, to, to siblings, and he was dying of colon cancer. It was probably his last night, they thought. So he was still conversive. You could talk to him. So I go in and I uh, go into the hospital room and I'm there with the family, with the wife, with the parents, with the siblings. And at some point we decide that we're going to pray the rosary. And as we do so, we pray the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary and praying those mysteries. I really saw them unfold before my eyes to see the suffering of this individual and then his wife actually went over and wiped his face and all of that. And that was during the fourth sorrowful mystery, the way of the cross. And so you think of right. Veronica wiping the face wow. of Jesus. Yeah. But then it hit me as we prayed the Fatima prayer. Oh, my Jesus, forgive us our sins. Save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven. And I realized that in this moment of prayer for this young man, in this prayer with his family, That's what we were praying for, that as he had been anointed, as he received the apostolic pardon, now as we prayed the rosary, we were asking God to lead this man, to lead his soul from this life into heaven. As the the prayers of the sick go, go forth, Christian soul, make your home this day with God. And that was, I, I never saw that prayer of Fatima so much lived out before my eyes than exactly in that moment. Yeah. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful prayer. And one of the things that has stood out to me as I continue reflecting on it, you know, I, I've done some parish missions and some presentations here and there, uh, centered around the book, obviously, and, and the, the Oh My Jesus prayer. And what I can never get away from is how hard it would be to say that prayer with as simple of a heart as the children could receive it, right? And this, and this is part of the power and the mystery of that of that simple prayer. You know, those twenty nine words that it's given to these simple, uneducated, you know, children in Fatima who tend their sheep, and for them to say the words to repeat them is kind of no big deal. And in, in, in as much as you can say it's no big deal to repeat the words that Mary has taught you herself. But it doesn't cause them any trouble to think, okay, I'm going to say, oh, my Jesus, forgive me. I'm going to say all of these things. For grown, educated people in our developed world, right, to say, oh, my Jesus, even just that much, can seem sort of like, inappropriate like I, sh- I shouldn't be speaking to god like that you know i'm a i'm grown i'm i'm an adult i'm not a little kid and that's precisely the point you know what does jesus tell us in the gospels if you don't 
become like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I, I think that the Oh My Jesus prayer, if we can be serious about it and not just kind of fly through it like an auctioneer saying our rosary, gives us tremendous pause or should give us tremendous pause of how can, am I putting myself in that spirit of a child when I say these words? Can I trust? Can I call? Do I have enough comfort with Jesus to talk to him that way? Oh, my Jesus. Like, you know, a little kid says, you're my daddy or you're my mommy, and, and that's natural. It's it's difficult for an, an adult or even an adolescent to kind of use that language and enter into it and mean it. Um, and that's ju- you know that's just the first line of it. Uh, it, it. It does it does so much work to make us simple, to make us humble, and I think it it oftentimes can be overlooked, just like anything can, you know, when you get used to it. Um, so I think sometimes it's, it's important to step back and, and look at it for the first time. Like, what are we saying here when we say this prayer? And even as we say that prayer, oh my Jesus, you bring out the childlike dimension of it. But to go even a step further, I think, too, we can realize that so many people today take the name of the Lord Jesus in vain. Go to any sporting event. Just listen to anybody, you know, J, expletive, C, whatever. They're not using it as a prayer. And what's the message of Fatima? It's one of reparation. Make reparation for sin. And so it's almost as if we're repeating the name of Jesus, the name of the Savior, to make up— for the sin against his holy name. So that could be another way uh, in, in which we see this prayer, oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins. And then, you know, we move into that, forgive us our sins. And yes, uh, I think that's a beautiful line. It helps us realize Absolutely. we're sinners. We need yes. God's mercy. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I say about it in the book or what we say about it in the book, that to say forgive us our sins gets harder and harder as we get, you know, more and more, uh, uh, as we move further away from our childhood and as we move further away from Christ, uh, if we're losing that, that, that losing touch of our relationship with the Lord, to remember that we, in fact, are sinners. Forgive, forgive us our sins is difficult. It's really painful, but that's what the saints do. Saints know their sins, and they know them better than anybody else. You know, I think of St. Faustina, St. Therese, John Paul II, these contemporary saints. They knew very clearly that they were sinners, and they were seeking forgiveness of their sins um, constantly. They were never impressed by themselves. St. Therese and St. Faustina both had to be, you know, counseled by their spiritual directors, yes, it's okay for you to receive the Eucharist and to do so frequently. <laughs> like, if you are not in a state of mortal sin, you can do this. We need to remind ourselves more often that we are sinners. And that line breaks, can at least, break through sort of our, our shield of, of our own self-confidence or our ego or whatever you want to call it. But forgive us our sins is uh not you know not easy to say not a, not an easy thing to do um but it's it's a necessary first step toward holiness and then one more thing about it is who were the children that were taught this prayer they were the three who were told they were going to go to heaven and even they are told to say this prayer every time at the end of every decade you know 
Sister Lucia had to pray that that prayer at the end of every decade for for dec for uh, <laughs> I didn't mean for that pun, but for for so many years she lived her life continuing to pray that prayer. Uh, Jacinta and Francisco didn't live very long, but they were told you are going to heaven, and yet they continued to say, "Forgive us our sins." That's a powerful message because we live in a time where what we want to do is for, forget our sins, forgive ourselves by not thinking about them too much, but that's not ever going to work. The other thing, too, they're told they're going to go to heaven. Francisco, what did Our Lady say? You have to pray many rosaries. Many rosaries. You have to that's pray right. many rosaries. <laughs> so just think about that. That's another reason, like, why is it that we should pray the rosary? Why should we be inspired by these kids who, at the very young age that they were receiving these apparitions, prayed the rosary every day, but Francisco dying during the Spanish flu... He had to pray many rosaries in his very short life. And for us who live yeah. long lives, just imagine what that means for us. We, too, have to pray many rosaries. And, you know, I wonder what that means, many rosaries. What did Our Lady mean? Did she just yeah. mean prayed every day? But she already told them that. Does that mean pray more than one rosary a day? You know, there's something yeah. something there to think about. Well, I and... And Francisco, you know, Francisco isolated himself from Jacinta and Lucia as a result of that message. There were times when they were all three together doing, you know, as they would normally do their prayers and tend to their sheep and do do the normal things that they were doing. But he would he would depart from them for more prayers on his own. And sometimes they would they would realize, wait, where's Francisco? And they'd find him off somewhere praying. And of course, he liked to. Make his make his visits to his hidden Jesus and in, in the uh, in the in the local church at the tabernacle and to pray there, um, and, and you know, <laughs> again the humility of those children. Yes, you're gonna have gonna go to heaven, but you got to pray many rosaries. And then you know, Francisco just becomes a praying machine. Um, you know, when he when he's so young to to take that message so seriously is just it's just fascinating uh, and. Uh, convicting sometimes that like wow look what they could do why why can't i at least pray the rosary every day right and uh, in the continuation of the fatima prayer it says save us from the fires of hell and of course that us that's a corporate so that's talking about myself save us but it's also right. a plea i think to almighty god saying save everybody i know save everyone in my family save this entire yeah. world from the fires of hell so it's really a prayer that we earnestly make this plea uh, to almighty god to to the lord jesus and you see here that i think the the great compassion of the heart of mary that she loves all sinners. She wants everyone to yeah. come back to God and to experience that life of heaven so that we might be saved from the fires of hell and led to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, and the reality of hell, you know, so so clearly affirmed by the first part of the secret for those children really transformed them. You know, for them to have the vision of hell and know that they weren't going there. And I just, I, I never cease to be amazed at this. They knew they weren't going to go to hell, but they saw the vision of it and that there were people there, and that inspired them to courageous acts of self-sacrifice on behalf of those sinners who might wind up going there. That they wanted to save everyone possible who had the slightest chance of ending up there by praying for them, by telling them to pray, by offering sacrifices for them, 
you know, fasting and, and mortification. They're not inspired by their own fear of going to hell because they knew they weren't going to go there. But still, they want to save us. They want, you know, there's a, there is, as you said, a corporate dimension. And this is something cool about this, the Oh My Jesus prayer. You know, the first line is a personal, Oh My Jesus, right, me. It's, it's a direct-to-God sort of uh, vertical dimension between me and God. And, and other lines of the prayer, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell, expand on what we can call the horizontal dimension, right? Our relationship to those in the church, uh, the, the, to the rest of humanity. We pray for ourselves and we pray for others in, these, in this compact prayer. And it's one of the things that I think is so powerful about it. These were uneducated and rather simple children. And in this short prayer, you know, there are all of these big themes of spirituality, of theology that are just just compact. It's like a little catechism for, for these children. Especially with heaven and hell, that's eschatology. That's, you know, a specific yeah. branch of theology that we're talking about there. And then in the final phrase of the Oh My Jesus prayer, it says, especially those who are in most need of thy mercy, especially yes. those who are in most need of thy mercy. And maybe as we pray that prayer, it's an opportunity for us to think of the people in our life that we know need God's mercy. And I, I can only think of some parents out there who maybe are disgruntled with how their children are living their lives, how they rejected the faith. And, and maybe they think of them that, well, they're in need of God's mercy. Or maybe for the person who is passionately pro-life, that they're thinking of the abortionist who is performing all of these yeah. different abortions and how that person is in need of God's mercy. Or we think of the person that we don't like, the person that we struggle with the most and how they're in need of God's mercy. So I think that's a, also a very marvelous line for us to think about as we pray it, not just to say it, but to pray right. it and to think about who is it that I need to pray for in that moment as I pray yeah. these decades. Yeah, and I, I also like the the balance between the concern for the fires of hell and asking for mercy on everyone, right? We see that, that, that God is not... Uh, planning to destroy everyone and mary doesn't want people to wind up in hell but it's a real thing it's a possibility and the plea for god's mercy is that you know the, those people that could go to hell won't wind up there in some senses it's continuing that plea to, to save us from the fires of hell the other thing about the the plea for mercy here i continue to explore this is I think there's a really good connection between the Fatima apparitions and the message of divine mercy given to St. Faustina, because if you look closely in Sister uh, Faustina's diary, now she's writing in the 1930s, the, the, the messages, the secrets of Fatima, right, aren't, aren't published uh, until I think it's the 40s, uh, I, I lose track of the date, but in any case, it's after Faustina has written her diary. In her own prayer life, Faustina uses the, the, the phrase, Oh my Jesus, dozens of times in her diary. Hmm. It's one of, the, one of her favorite ways of invoking Jesus is to say, is to call him, Oh my Jesus. Sometimes she just says, My Jesus, so I don't count those. I'm working my way through the whole diary to try and tr track them. Um, oh, wow. But I've, I've, I'm only I, you know, halfway through the diary or something with, with this project, and 
I've already got 25 or 27 uh, occasions where she says, oh my Jesus. Um, both Fatima and the Divine Mercy message have a dimension of, of Eucharistic piety that's, that plays a key role. Both the message of Fatima and the message of Faustina are concerned with reparations uh, for the sins that are committed against the Lord. And I, I just think it's remarkable that in, in the, the one prayer that sort of sticks with everyone, of course, as you mentioned, there are other prayers revealed at Fatima, but it's this, oh my Jesus, one that gets tied to the rosary, and so rightly so gets remembered may, maybe more than others. There is this presence of divine mercy, um, and the, it's you know a plea for divine mercy before, in a certain sense, hell bro- all hell broke loose um, in the world with World War II. Um, so there, there's something there. And another thing about the, you know, forgive us or, or lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy, is the paradox of who's in most need of, of divine mercy is those who are the least aware of it. For sure. You know, maybe, maybe that's sometimes. We're the most in need of it because we don't realize it. Um, but in, in every case, the person in most need of God's mercy have the least sense of that. Uh, I, I remember when I was in the seminary, there was a great priest, Father Dominic Brode, who, when we went to confession, um, it was so so beautiful. If you went to confession with Father Dominic, he would your penance always would be to pray for whatever seminarian needs prayers the most, and he would say, and that might be you. But you but you didn't know like who is the one that needs prayers the most? I mean, God knows that. I don't really know. Um, and so to pray for those in, in, in most need of, of God's mercy uh, is really Im- important because they're the ones the least aware of it. You know, saints know they need God's mercy, and oftentimes to the consternation of other normal people who aren't saints, like, what are you talking about? What are you so concerned about? John Paul, the second, why are you going to confession so much, man? You're, you're, you're doing good, you know? Um, but that's because we don't, we're not, as as close is as, as closely united with the Lord as, as John Paul II was or Therese or whoever. Um, so when when I when I pronounce those words, you know, lead us, um, forgive us from sorry. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of Thy mercy. I really have to to weigh that and ponder on on who that is. And for me, I, I try not to not to think too much about particular people, or, or, although if there are people I know well. You know, I feel like it's okay to have them in mind, but I think a lot of times we don't know who that is, and maybe it's me. For sure, for sure. It's a a beautiful prayer that the Blessed Virgin teaches us. It's one that we repeat every time we pray the rosary. Here's a question. I get asked this a lot. Do you pray the Fatima prayer after the introductory part of the rosary? (laughs) I always tell people, I believe Our Lady said, pray this after each decade, which means you would do it after the first mystery, the second mystery, and so forth. Of course, there's nothing wrong with praying it after that glory be. And sometimes you just do it out of force of habit. Yeah, when I pray by myself, I I will do it. And uh, when I pray with my kids, I usually do it also. If I'm praying in public, like if I'm leading a mission or something, I'll usually leave it out then, just because she does say after the decades, right? But it, but w- when I'm praying by myself, I think, well, what's 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 the harm of one more? Um, and when I'm with my kids, my kids have gotten kind of um, conditioned uh, to if there's a glory be, 
then the next thing better be oh my Jesus or I'm gonna point out that we skipped the oh my Jesus prayers. So uh, yeah, I love I love the uh, how common that question is, and so I I think to be fair the, the the clearest answer as far as what Mary asked for is it no you don't have to do it, uh, but it, but precisely what you said. Why, why not? You know, it's like John Paul II said about praying the rosary with children. It might be difficult, but why not at least try it? So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, do, I have gotten that question many times also. Just uh, one additional thing I want to add uh, to our little conversation. Just interesting thing that I noticed. I've been to Lourdes several times. I've served there as an auxiliary confessor. So I've been one of the priests that'll hear confessions at the shrine in Lourdes. And uh, one of the things they do when they pray the rosary at the grotto is they don't say the Oh My Jesus prayer. And I don't know if it's one of these things where it's like <laughs> a competition between Mary yeah. apparitions, <laughs> but they do pray the prayer from uh, Ruta Bach. Uh, oh Mary conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. Yeah. So that's what they pray instead uh, in Lourdes. And yeah. I, I think, too, probably because, you know, conceived without sin, that emphasizes Mary as the Immaculate Conception sure. and yeah. kind of makes sense. But it's just something that I always wonder. I'm like, well, why is that? Is it just because maybe the prayer, the person who orchestrates the English rosary didn't believe that people were right. in hell or could go to hell? Like, was there some other theological quandary uh, underneath that decision? <laughs> or was it really, you know, like I said, the competition of apparitions or, yeah. or that this other prayer was more consonant with uh, what Our Lady said at Lourdes? I, I don't right. know the answer. Yeah, I would think it's got something to do with the cult there, right? Um, that develops before the Fatima apparitions, and so it has sort of a, a local primacy there. But um, that would be that would be sort of strange. I, and I've I've not... I've not noticed, you know, when I when I went to uh, Guadalupe, I mean, they they had mass there. I'm sure that the rosary was being prayed, but it was in Spanish. My Spanish was pretty bad at the time, so I don't I don't know if they did it there or not. But um, yeah, I do think that there is it there. You can make a good claim um, based on the apparitions, based on the teachings, you know, to, to Lucia that that we really ought to do that. We re ought to say that prayer. Uh, that it's not just a sort of superlative thing, right? It's, I mean, I think like when you get to the end of the rosary, right, there's all kinds of different traditions people want to do, different prayers that they say, you know, if they want to say the St. Michael prayer or or if they don't, if there are other prayers they want to add in there, I could see you're on sort of equal footing, whichever way you want to go with that. But I, I, I do think we ought to be saying the Oh My Jesus prayer and that it, that, that, it, that it shouldn't be a sort of an optional localized thing. Yeah, Mary taught the prayer. She asked us to pray the yeah. rosary every day and asked us to pray that after each of the decades. So right. seems like motherly advice that we ought to listen to. <laughs> yeah, although I will say, to be fair to John Paul II, um, you know, in, in his letter on the rosary 2002, which I adore that letter, I recommend it to people all the time, he doesn't mention it. Uh, when he's going through the prayers of the rosary, he does not mention. He says, after the glory be there, I think he says something like, there may be other prayers you insert here, and then you move on to the next to the next mystery. So, um, you know, that's that's interesting, because he certainly had a devotion to Fatima, um, but maybe that's the Pope trying to stay out of a prudential matter. But uh, So me as a uh, lay Catholic, I will uh, wholeheartedly uh, tell people, I think you ought to pray it, and since I don't have any authority, uh, that's okay for me to say. 
Well, that's great. Today we've been talking with Luke Arredondo about the book, Oh My Jesus, The Meaning of the Fatima Prayer. It's available from Paulist Press. And one of the things that I always do with a guest before we end our conversation is just to do what I call the Marian Profile. It's just a series kind of of what I would call rapid fire Marian questions that you can just give a quick answer to. But it really, I think, helps to establish different facets of Marian devotion for each person. Okay. So the first one is a favorite title of Mary. And of course, these are titles that can change uh, in our own devotional life. So maybe there's one that you find that you're invoking right now. Um, I like in the litany for um, one of the litanies in the St. Louis Marie de Montfort. Uh, she's, I think, called Ark of the Covenant. Um, I, I, I like I always like when I get to that one. So I'll say Ark of the Covenant. It's a very scriptural uh, title for the Blessed Mother. Yeah. And how about a Marian sacramental? So, of course, we might carry a rosary, but we also might wear something uh, yes. to, uh, to note the our Marian devotion. Is there any Marian right. sacramental you employ? Yes, I've got, I wear the Montfort chain. Uh, it's been on my left ankle for almost 10 years. You wear it on your ankle. That's an interesting place to do yeah. it. You don't like things on your wrist. Well, I I like I like the idea at least of having a watch on. And uh, I before I did the chain, I was wearing a like a rosary bracelet on my on my wrist for I don't know on, on and off for a couple of years. And I, sometimes I would lose it or whatever. So I decided when I went for the chain, I said, I'm gonna put it on my ankle because that that will that will be something that's still gonna be annoying. And I do. I struggle with taking my socks off every day because of that chain. Uh, but, I, yeah, I like it better there than on my wrist. Um, but it, it still is annoying to me, and I think that's one of the points. Is it should be something kind of frustrating to you. <laughs> there are lots of prayers to the Blessed Mother. Of course, the Hail Mary comes from sacred scripture, the greeting of Mary, of the right. angel, of, of Elizabeth. There are other Marian prayers written by saints, written by other people. Are Is there a Marian prayer that you pray often? The Magnificat. Yeah, my wife and I um, really like the Magnificat when— um, when we first started dating and, and for the first, I don't know, year or so of our marriage, we, we really tried to do evening prayer often, and it's been difficult to maintain that with family life. we got five kids now, and it's just not always easy to sit down and do that. But the Magnificat still has stayed with us as a, as, as a prayer that we kind of look at as like, this is our prayer. Um, so I, I love the Magnificat. Is there a tip that you would offer to someone who says, I struggle with praying the rosary? Yes, I would say to think simple, and that the rosary is a very simple thing to start with, uh, and to give it some time. All right, it's difficult to say how long, but for me, um, doing that consecration, the Marian consecration, really, really has helped me see that once I get through uh, a regimen like that, Man, it, it, am I just it's so, so much more at peace. Um, so I th- I'd, I'd say the same thing John Paul II said about having kids pray the rosary. Try it. Um, and now if you've tried it and you're having difficulty with it, that may not do you any good. But if, if you're hesitant to try it, I'd say, you know, that's you give it some time. Give it at least a couple of weeks every day. Don't miss a day. I've, I, I don't find that peace um, in other ways. So... I guess that's about it, about what I would say. Or, well, I guess one more thing. 
Oh, I was supposed to only have one. Um, try to pray the rosary with scripture. Wonderful. Yes, that's a recommendation that a lot of other guests, uh, one of them was a, an apologist for Catholic Answers, and he, he offered that, uh, Carlo Broussard. So, oh, yeah. Carlo's doing a, uh, a class for us here at the Institute. Uh, I think we got running for three more weeks. So I have met Carlo through Zoom. <laughs> well, that's great. And uh, when, you know, Mary comes to us, we meet her in the pages of Sacred Scripture. We find out her story from the evangelists, the prophets of old foretold about the Blessed Mother. Is there a favorite Marian passage or reference that you have? Uh, I like to, uh, again, the Magnificat, um, but I like to read the Magnificat side by side with Hannah's prayer. Um, I always find that to be a very, very illuminating thing. And if you've never done that, Ed Sri has a great little book, Dawn of the Messiah, and he walks you through those two prayers and the link between them. Uh, so I would recommend that book. Wow, that's a Dr. Sri book that I haven't heard of and that I haven't read. Oh, so wow. that's a great I re- we recommendation. Read it. Yeah, my wife and I read it every Advent, or we at least try to. It's it's very, very short, very readable. Um, great book for Advent. Wow, okay. That's great to know. And uh, I'm thinking about doing like a Advent Mary book book study or something like that. So that might be a good one to do. I was kind of, I had my eye on Carol Houselander's book, um, uh, w- which the title escapes me right now, but, uh, but maybe I'll, I'll think about that one for sure. So thanks for that recommendation. And how yeah. about a Marian apparition? You mentioned going to Guadalupe. You've written a book about Fatima. Yeah. It, do you have a favorite apparition? I think, because my family's from Mexico, I'm kind of. I feel like I've got to say my favorite one is is Guadalupe, um, and because I've been there and I've seen the, the 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 two churches, the old, the original one, and and the the new one now, um, and also just knowing, even in a cursory fashion, and that's all I know really, the history there of Mary appearing and Juan Diego taking the request to the bishop, and then him finally believing. And the resulting baptisms, so this is during the Protestant Reformation in its high swing, three million people left the, the, the church to, to join a various Protestant sects in Europe, and at the same time, nine million people were baptized in Mexico, um, and I, that just stuns me to think of it, because we th- you think of world history as like, oh yeah, the Protestant Reformation was a big deal, the church really suffered, and it did. But in terms of the global scale, it was a, it was a significant increase in, in numbers of Catholics uh, because of the apparition at Guadalupe. So I'd say Guadalupe is my favorite. And now there are lots of different shrines to the Blessed Mother. Some of them are Marian apparition sites. Others are to devotional titles of Mary. And I can think of down in Texas, I think it's in Brownsville, there's this uh, Our Lady of San Juan, for example. So is there a Marian shrine that you have visited that you really like or a Marian shrine that you hope to one day visit? I have visited the uh, National Shrine in Washington, D.C. on uh, two occasions. Uh, I, I really did. I really did like that. It's a beautiful church. I, I still barely have gotten to to even see all of it. Um, I would like to visit. Uh, of course, I'd like to visit Fatima, but I would also like to visit um, Chestakova in Poland. Okay. Yeah. 
I, w- I really want to see that someday. <laughs> a, a book about the Blessed Mother you'd recommend? A book about the Blessed Mother, I would recommend Fulton Sheen, uh, The World's First Love. Uh, it's uh, re- really, I've I've read it, I don't know, two or three times, um, which is not like a super impressive amount, but I think it's a, a really, really beautiful book. Um, and he does also a reading of the Magnificat alongside, um, not Hannah's Prayer, but he does a he performs sort of a reading of the Magnificat compared to the revolution that Marx proposed that I just can never get enough of. Um, the way that the, the the role of violence in the Christian life is directed toward the self, and in Marxism is directed towards the, you know your neighbor or whatever. Um, I I love that book. I love Fulton Sheen. And uh, that one always speaks to me. And lastly, when you go to church on a Marian feast day, one of the holy days, like the Assumption or Mary, Mother of God, the Immaculate Conception, is there a Marian song that you hope the choir will sing? Oh, I, I just like the plain chant Ave Maria. Um, that's what I well, that's what I prefer to hear. Um, but I, I I like chant a lot, so. Um, or 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 a chanted salve. It's very nice. Um, I, I I sing the salve to one of my daughters uh, every night, or most nights. Um, so that that chant is also very close to my heart. Well, that's your Marian profile, and I, I'd like to thank you so much today for this wonderful conversation that we've had, especially as we celebrate the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, as we find ourselves in the month of the Holy Rosary. This prayer, O oh My Jesus, and your book, O oh My Jesus, The Meaning of the Fatima Prayer, I think is going to unlock that prayer for us so that we don't just say the Fatima Prayer, but that we begin to pray it, that we begin to yeah. know what it means. And so right. thank you so much for writing that book. Thanks for talking with me today. And maybe can you just share a little bit about how people can find you and maybe give a brief plug and commercial for the St. Philip Institute? Sure, yeah. The easiest way to connect with me is is through the St. Philip Institute's website. It's stphilipinstitute.org, stphilip1linstitute.org. I am the director of faith formation for Bishop Strickland's St. St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization. And uh, the book is available through our store also. So on our website, you can click on store at the very top and, and you can uh, purchase a copy of the book, support the Institute. Um, also, we have our own podcast on YouTube on Spotify, all, all the usual places. Um, and I'm actually recording tomorrow uh, so it'll be before this one airs I suppose but uh, an episode on the Pope's new encyclical so people have lots of questions about it and I'm sure that yeah. as you've read it you'll be able to give some great insight into it so I'll put all of those links into the show notes the link to that okay. uh, episode great. but also to to buy the book right from the Institute what a great way um, to support uh, the ministry that Bishop Strickland is doing and the Bishop of in the Diocese of Tyler. So thanks again, Luke, for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, Father. Thank you so much for inviting me. 
You have been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that this podcast has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you don't mind, please leave a review of this podcast. Please rate it on Apple Podcasts on whatever platform you listen. Share this podcast also on your social media if you don't mind. Until next time, let's remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless. Mm-hmm.